So our reading this evening is Psalm 121, which you can find on page 622 in the Church Bible. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen. So this is the second in our series looking at these songs of ascent. Uh, Psalm 121. This is often called the Pilgrim's Psalm. Probably used by Jews as they went up to Jerusalem for one of their main pilgrim festivals like Passover or First Fruits or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it continues the idea that Jeff introduced last week in these songs of ascents that we're looking at for these next few evenings. The phrase, if you remember from the Lloyd's advert, for the journey. How can we trust God to be with us in our journeys of life? So tonight as we study this psalm, let us listen to the words of the psalmist. Let's hear the echoes of Jesus' life in them. And then let's copy the trust in God. So we start off listening to the words of the psalmist. So the writer was a psalmist, a poet. This takes me back to school days, you know, when you had to do English language comprehension. Let's look at some of the structure of this poem here. Look at the voices that appear. See how in verses 1 and 2 are written in the first person, I and my. In verses 3 to 8 are written in the second, your and you. So imagine someone heading off to Jerusalem to attend a festival looking ahead to his journey, the mountains that lay before him, possibly quite foreboding, and reminding himself of his creator. And the second voice kicks in, maybe a friend waving him on his way, underlining that theme and encouraging the pilgrim with words expressing God's care for him, a blessing for the journey. Let's look at the tenses that are used here. It's a forward-looking psalm, speaking either in the present tense, the first voice speaks in the present tense, because that's where he is, and the second voice speaks in the present tense as well, for some of it, but also in the future, taking our current experience and also the expectation of continuing care. The Lord watches over us, and the Lord will watch over us and he will keep us from harm and he will watch over us let's look at the time in this psalm because this is an interesting bit the psalm was just in the present and future tenses we said and yet it's a broad psalm because it covers from the start of time to the end of time goes right back to the maker of heaven and earth to the beginning of all time and it goes right forward to the future 
to now and forevermore. The psalmist gets it right because he remembers his creator in the days of his youth. I'm assuming here he's a young person. He didn't have to be, but if he was setting out on a pilgrim journey, he'd probably be young at heart. We can trust in God properly when we remember God's power. And look at how the character of God comes through in this psalm. He's infinite, the creator of the universe. And he's intimate. He will not let even our feet slip. He's a carer of individuals. He's all-powerful, and yet he's personal, involved in our lives. And he's a guardian, because God is a good God. He's a protector from evil. So as we look at this next part of the psalm, he will not let your feet slip sometimes used to describe maybe a misfortune that might cause us to fall. He won't let that happen. Now, this took me back to the start of June when we went climbing in the Lake District. And as a family, we had a really good good weather all week, actually, and we enjoyed the ascents and the descents. But both of them were quite slippery conditions at times, particularly on some of the... uh, shale I suppose and the stones underfoot and every time we did slip we were met with a way from Matthew whenever it was skidded a little he wouldn't let you forget but on one wet day when we thought well let's not go for a walk today Helen went shopping and the boys and I went to an indoor climbing centre and we learnt about ropes and about belays and about climbing and hanging on to a rock face And I actually appreciated how hard it was on your fingers to find those gripping points. You could find them, but you can only find them with the ends of your fingers. And it actually was quite tricky to climb still, even though you had a rope around you and Sam and Matthew, in my case, and a bag of cement uh, at the bottom. So with someone below, though, holding the rope, we could climb and we could pause to consider the next move And the odd slip here or there, if your foot did slip off, wouldn't spell disaster if the rope holder was paying attention. I've had another picture here where Sam wasn't paying quite so much attention, but I picked this one. So we still had our own weight to bear. And the climb still takes it out of you. So it doesn't make it any easier having the rope holder there, but it does make it more secure And God cares about us and pays attention to us all the time. So when we read about this idea of God sleeping or being forgetful and not caring about us, we laugh at it a little bit, don't we? Because that seems quite unusual to us. But for the Israelites and for their view of God, uh, cut a a little bit because of their difference with other tribes around them and those other tribes' views of God, the Israelites were really clear that their God never slept. And remember how Elijah taunted the prophets of Baal by considering that their God might have been sleeping when he didn't light their altar fire on the top of Mount Carmel, and Elijah's God did. He who watches over Israel, the ruler of Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. And what does he also do? He shades us from the dehydrating heat of the sun as we walk and protects us from the cold of the night or the creatures 
and the bandits that roam as we rest. Well, this is the part that I found much harder to understand, and I probably would say I still don't. It's the part that needs some more understanding. God's protection doesn't mean that the pilgrim won't experience suffering. Just like the rock climbing, I suppose, still felt painful at times. It doesn't mean that we can be careless with our lives, setting out on journeys without provisions or unsuitably prepared. It does mean God can and will protect us from evil. And this means protect us from evil overcoming us. In his letters, Paul writes this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is from Romans. And he says in Corinthians, his second letter, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The Christian's life and the pilgrim's life will have their share of suffering. We only had to see the news today, didn't we? And, and hear about Karen Wu and, and the others in North Afghanistan who were killed when they were going just to help others, just to look after the, the poor people there, to, to act as medics. What was that all about? It's very difficult to understand when that happens, isn't it? For God, each of our lives is a different part of his plan. For us, each of our lives is an exercise in being loved and in loving as we experience the ups and downs. And this psalm doesn't contradict that or suggest that everything will always be comfortable. But it does say that we can be secure in God's care. It means we can take what we each face and put it in an eternal context. It means that God will not allow us to be overcome by the evils of bitterness, of cynicism, of complaining and despair. None of the things that happen to you None of the troubles you will encounter have any power to get between you and God, to dilute his grace in you or divert his will from you. At times, our trust is going to have to go beyond our experience. That's maybe the case for me tonight. I haven't experienced some of the pain that others have experienced. And when it does go beyond our experience, we have to imagine Maybe we have to change our imagination when our experience catches up. Only God is beyond all experience. Only God understands everything and how it fits into his perfect will. And this is why we should trust no one else. 
He's watching over everything that we do. When Sam did his Duke of Edinburgh pre-walk, the mentors who had trained him kept watch at a distance. Those who took part in that Duke of Edinburgh walk completed it themselves, but they had the confidence that they would be looked after before things got badly wrong. They had somebody maybe in the next field or the next but one. And knowing someone is watching over us can be a great comfort. Life is full of dangers, but God's help is a match for them all. Let's turn now and look at this psalm from the point of view of Jesus' life and hear the echoes of this in Jesus' life. Maybe this will help us as we bring it up into our lives as well. Firstly, in his work in creation, the psalmist knew God as creator and as a personal God. And his poetry, without him realising it, points forward to Jesus coming to the earth, the creator God coming down to us in person, the infinite and the personal. In the beginning was the word, writes John, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And knowing this, knowing that there's no experience that's beyond God, holding on to this, this is where our trust begins. But let's look at Jesus' example of trust. Because did God keep Jesus from pain? No. Did God keep Jesus aligned with his eternal plans? Yes, thank goodness he did. Jesus' death and resurrection have changed the response we can make to our greatest fear, death. And I wonder if Jesus remembered this psalm as he looked up at the hills surrounding him when he was being tempted in the desert. Because in his tempting, the devil took him to a high point in the Jerusalem hills, the highest point of the temple. And he quoted a similar psalm in which God says, or the psalmist says, that God's angels will guard you and st- stop even our feet from striking stones. And that just seems similar, doesn't it? To, he will not let your foot slip. God's care for us as individuals. Jesus completed his time of temptation by saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And we shouldn't. Don't test him. Trust him. And then we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When I read the phrase, shade at your right hand, I remembered a short clip from a Robin Hood film. Just to introduce it before we see the clip, Robin and his companion Hasim have just returned from the Crusades, so this is near the start of the film. His friend Hasim has promised to shadow him and to save his life, having had his life saved by Robin earlier. And here Robin, you'll see, has just prevented some of the Sheriff of Nottingham's henchmen from catching a small boy who was hunting for food. And he did it alone while Hasim, his Muslim friend, was trying to find East and pray. Let's have a quick look at the clip now. Coach, is it not a greater crime to starve a family? Oh, Moxley. 
go on. I've seen enough blood spilt to last two lifetimes. Now get off my land. And tell Nottingham what happens to a scum when they pick on small children. You. You traveled 10,000 miles to save my life and leave me to be butchered? I fulfill my vows when I choose. Which does not include prayer times or meal times or any time I'm outnumbered six to one. You whine like a mule. You are still alive. I have no fear. Come down, boy. Is it true, boy? Did you kill a deer? Hundreds of them. You'll be pleased to know if you've seen the, if you haven't seen the film uh, that later on he does actually get to save Robin Hood's life. But Jesus left us the Holy Spirit, a companion, to shadow us, to walk with us on our journey. In fact, maybe not so much to shadow us, but for us to shadow. Someone for us to keep in step with as we go. To guide us and protect us by pointing us to Jesus and reminding us of Jesus. And Jesus has the power to protect Jesus makes it clear to us that he's the good shepherd who protects the sheep given to him. My sheep listen to my voice, he says. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You are mine, he says. Keepers. So what are we to do? We're to copy the trust in God. We get it wrong when we put our trust elsewhere. Where does my help come from? Well, what if we think our help just comes from ourselves? We may be conscious of all the perils of the journey of life, but for some, they would describe Christianity as a crutch, as foolishness. Well, let's go back to thinking about mountains. Ropes and crampons are crutches for mountaineers. But what do we think when someone goes mountain climbing without them, without a compass, without all the gear? Well, mountain rescue teams would call them foolish in the extreme and ill-prepared. So do you really want to live your life without a compass, with insufficient support? I'll take the foolishness of the crutch of Christianity any time. There was a programme on TV the other week following the work of lifeguards. One of them had come across a boy stuck up a cliff by the beach. His two mates had gone up with him, but when it started getting tricky and they, they had turned round and climbed back down, he tried, but he found he wasn't able to, and he got stuck just in his swim shorts, no shoes, clinging onto the side of a cliff. Not easy for the lifeguard to get up to him or even down to him from the top. So he called the Coast Guard. And they came in 
And they tried throwing ropes up to him. But that didn't work either. So they called the Navy helicopter in. And after checking that the downdraft from the helicopter wouldn't blow his tiring body with now cramped muscles off the cliff, they winched someone down to him who rescued him and brought him back down to the beach. In the end, that was what worked. Someone being sent down to rescue him. Now, where have I heard that idea before? What about the hills then? I lift up my eyes to the hills. What might those hills represent nowadays? Well, these are obviously the hills of the Lake District. But I wonder if hills can maybe represent something powerful on earth in which we trust when we forget to put our trust in God. Maybe something physical, tangible, man-centred, but not God-centred. For example, will I put my faith in the hills of technology? Surely technology will give us all the answers eventually. Surely we need not fear if we are technological enough. But the psalmist of today would say this, No, I will put my faith in God, the creative power behind anything that science may seek to describe. We live in a technological age, yes, and it can be easy for us to misplace our trust. Even 40 years ago, still quite recent in technological terms, we had the technology to put a man on the moon. Now, that is a very long journey for a pilgrim. It's about half a million miles there and back. And I remember in the mid-80s, during something called Mission England, that one of the speakers who came to my home church then was James Irwin. He was the eighth man on the moon. Part of Apollo 15, way back in 1972. He was a Christian. And at the end of the evening, he sat down in our church hall and for what seemed like hours it must have been to him, but he was a very patient man. He waited and signed copies of his book that he'd written. And I got a signed copy of this book of reflections. And one of his reflections was on Psalm 121. And this is some of what he wrote. I felt very special when I looked down at my footprints on the moon. The scientists said that they would be there for a million years. Looking up, I could see the earth, the size of a marble. It was so beautiful and yet so far away. And yet I felt strangely at home on the moon. The days I spent on the moon were exciting. Not because I was there, but because God was there. I could feel his presence. When I was on the moon, I was inspired to quote from Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? I knew my help was coming from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He made the moon and he made it possible for Jim Irwin to place his footprints there. And I believe Jesus Christ walking on the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. 
just as surely as he walked 2,000 years ago. He wants to walk today in your life. All you have to do is call upon him. Invite him into your life by faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yield your life to the Master and let him guide your footprints. And he continued as he spoke later on. I feel now that the power of God was working in me the whole time I was on the flight. I felt his presence on the moon in the most immediate and overwhelming way. There I was, a test pilot, a nuts and bolts type who'd gotten rather sceptical about God. Suddenly I was asking God to solve my problems on the moon. I was relying on God rather than on Houston. So what's our conclusion? We get it right when we put our trust in God. And if we're looking to the hills, there is a hill in which we can put our trust. Well, not quite, but it's a hill we can lift our eyes up to and see where our help comes from. It's the hill where Jesus was crucified. It shows us an empty cross. A cross that marks the place where death died. Where Jesus won a victory forever. There's also a hill into which a tomb was dug. The emptiness of which now shows us the power of resurrection. The power of love over death. And another hill from which the Son of Man ascended into heaven. And we know the power is not in the hills but in the God who became man, the all-powerful God becoming the most personal God in Jesus. And when we take this to heart, as the psalmist took to heart that he should look nowhere else for help other than to God, then we can know he is watching over us and looking after us on the journey. Constantly and consciously, as we put our trust in God, we will see the way forward. He walks beside us, offering us enough light in which to place our steps. For each of us, the path of the journey and the length of the journey are unique. But they make most sense when shared with him and trusted to his care. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Recognise where your help comes from, that means. And he will make your paths straight. Amen.